Hi, I'm Wendy Zomner. I'm the CEO and founder of Cali Ray Beauty. I'm formerly a founding partner of Urban Decay. And what I love about beauty is the transformational power of it and how it can make you feel so good about yourself. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Beauty Is Your Business. I am your host, Jessica Quick, and today I am buzzing about legacy and the next chapter. I thought there couldn't be a better person to really talk us through this subject than Wendy Zomner herself. Welcome, Wendy, to the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I think I told you earlier, I love to do podcasts, so this should be really fun. I have been looking forward to this conversation because what I want to really dive into is the next chapter after you've done what you have obviously done with Urban Decay and moved on. What does that next chapter look like in your history? It's Cali Ray, which we'll talk about, but I would love to step through a little bit about getting us started with when you left Urban Decay, when it was time for you to move on, why did you want to start another beauty brand? Why didn't you just want to say, I'm done, I'm out? What was it that kept you in this industry? Well, I had some time because this was like pandemic time. So I had some time to sort of start to feel out what being a retired founder might feel like. And I do have a lot of hobbies. Like I'm an avid tennis player. I love to snowboard all winter. I felt like I could keep myself really busy if I felt like, you know, it's kind of time to move on, but I couldn't. So I am one of those people. I love to have like lots of energy around me. I need to always be learning something new. And the beauty business had evolved a lot. I was in a role at Urban where I was like a pretty elevated founder of a pretty big beauty brand, which meant I was somewhat removed from the day to day, like getting my hands dirty in the business. I realized, gosh, that was part of what I missed so much. Part of why I was starting to think about like maybe evolving into like a retirement kind of situation. And I love that hands dirty and I just wanted to do it again. So those were the greatest days of joy for me at Urban was like getting gritty, figuring it out. And I love building teams that are like family. And so I had another chance to do that. And so I jumped on it. You've mentioned before that you met your partner, Jenna, on the beach, obviously doing one of your many hobbies. What was it that made you decide having a partner was the right choice? I mean, obviously, you have a wealth of experience. You spent a couple of decades running and being at Urban. You could have obviously done this on your own. So why did you want a partner? And what was it about Jenna that made you want her specifically? Well, Jenna's got amazing positive energy and she's kind of a lot younger than me. She's like my little sister, like a lot younger sister. And I love having that sort of new perspective, a new perspective on beauty, on culture. Like, yes, I could have done it again myself, but you know, I'm not kidding myself. Like I'm not a kid anymore. 
And I think it's really good to be infusing yourself with energy from all kinds of places and looking at things through a new lens. And I just felt like she was really passionate about the clean and wellness and sustainability. And I was really fixated on doing something that was very California based. And we're both transplants and we both have this like transplant love for the place we live now and the ocean. And we just really connected. So I felt like she was a great person to help me get this off the ground. So was Callie Ray then a concept already kind of muddling through your brain and then you spoke with your partner or was it something that you together kind of sat down and really put pencil to paper? How did the conception of it come about? Yeah. So the conception was really, it kind of started when I was traveling the world, opening new countries for urban and everywhere I would go, I would get asked whether it was journalists, customers, retailers, they would always ask me about like, oh my gosh, do you surf? Tell me about what it's like in California. I understood that there was this real fascination with the sort of California dream. And I wanted to tap into that as a brand. And so that was an idea I had. Then I also subsequently went surfing with my family on a surf trip in a very remote place. I was surfing off a break in front of an uninhabited island. I decided to take a little rest. I paddle into the island. I sit down on the beach and I look behind me and the island is covered in plastic trash, like covered, like a wash. You hear about all this trash in the ocean. Well, I saw it and I realized like, you know, I had probably created a lot of plastic trash in my life as a beauty entrepreneur and that there must be a better way. And this to me was really the mission-driven part of Cali Ray. Like Urban, the mission was to sort of democratize beauty, make it for everyone, not make it so aspirational, make it about self-expression. And I feel like, okay, we succeeded because that's kind of table stakes now for a beauty brand. You have to be that. So what was the next one? Like, how can we bring real sustainability and not just greenwashing to beauty? And it's definitely every day I'm working on it and it's not perfect, but we're trying to like every day learn more, and create products that are more easily recycled or already from recycled materials. You bring up such a great point. I have had guests on the show before talking about sustainability and this idea of we're not perfect and we are learning more every day about what it means to be sustainable or what we thought was sustainable might actually be slightly different. And I've had a couple, I think they say it really well, which is, you know, as long as we are putting the effort there, because I think there's this expectation that you're going to be a hundred percent. If you're sustainable, it's a hundred percent perfect. Or, you know, if you do something that's off, it's absolutely terrible. Then all of a sudden everyone comes out of the woodworks to point their finger at you. And I love that. I think a lot of founders now are really saying the same message, which is we are doing everything that we can to the best of our ability, but we also know it's an evolving field. It's not perfect yet. Right. It's not perfect. I mean, there's a lot of conflicting information too. You know, someone told me today, like, well, I heard that nothing actually gets recycled. And yeah, you know what? A lot of stuff doesn't. Until we can get those at the MRFs, which are the municipal recycling facilities, until we can get the screen smaller, most single-use makeup products are going to fall through those screens, even if they're made of recycled material, which is why it's really important to try to use those pack bins at Sephora if you can for your recycling, your beauty products, because unless it's the size of a yogurt cup, it's not going to go through. But we have to keep trying, right? We can't give up. And there's all kinds of little things. Like I was using recycled paper for my boxes 
And I'm switching now to FSC certified mix or FS certified even virgin. You're thinking, oh, recycled's the gold standard, right? But I've now learned that actually using recycled material takes more energy and water than it does to use a managed forest, which is actually grown for the purpose. And that paper is naturally compostable. So it's just, you're always learning and I'm adjusting based on what I'm learning. So it's an interesting business proposition, right? Because it's absolutely true is the same thing. We learn, we find something else out. We thought, you know, glass is the way to go. Nope. Glass actually isn't. It's going to be metal. No metal's not. So it's a constant learning curve, but super curious how you think about this. If you know that it's evolving and it's changing, how do you give yourself room? Because you go out and you purchase, you know, you make a PO of 10,000 units, 100,000 units, but how do you give yourself room that it's like, okay, this may change. So the next iteration, are we able to react fast enough? How do you do that? Well, the way I do it is I start building the product from the ground up, doing what I know is right. So for example, you won't see on any Caliray products, you won't see any vac metalization. And vac metalization is what makes your cap look like it's made of metal, right? It makes it really shiny and pretty. Well, I know like right off the bat, that's toxic. So I'm just not going to start there. I'm going to use like color or something else or graphic design or something else fun to make the packaging more engaging. I think there's little things you can do, like our next round of primer in the tubes, we're actually going to put sequestered carbon that we pull out of the air and shove into the bioplastic. It actually makes the plastic more recyclable, but even if it doesn't get recycled, you've trapped carbon in there out of the environment and you've trapped it in there. So even if it's in a landfill, it's serving a purpose. That's kind of the next round. And it's pretty invisible to the customer other than we tell them that this now contains sequestered carbon. I'm just always looking for new materials. I think one of the things about the beauty industry today that gives us a little grace in this area is that most products, you're constantly evolving them. And I think the customer understands that whether you like slightly reformulate or you tweak the package or you phase it out and phase in something new because a new texture's in, like our tastes are pretty quick to change. We're buying like tight against our buys because maybe things evolve quicker. When I launched the Naked Palette, when I invented that Naked Palette and launched it, like that thing lasted for years and we just kept buying it and buying it. And now you launch a palette and it's got a season, right? And then it's in and it's out. Like the industry's totally changed. So you have to just be like really nimble and it gives you some grace with the sustainability. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. It's something that I talk with my clients about too. It's that buying tight to your sales forecast so that you don't have so much where then when you're ready to do that next PO, you can iterate quicker. You can change because there's a new piece of information or because you've learned something you didn't know when you did build that original product or place that PO. And so not having so much, and I know we get a price discount if we buy in bulk and all those things, but just really being thoughtful in that allows that flexibility, allows us to pivot when we want to, to add those better pieces, take something out, even the new information that we get. Are you working closely with manufacturers? Are you working closely with a consultant? How do you get, because you obviously are very well-versed on the latest and greatest in sustainability, how are you getting that information? So I'm trying to get it from a lot of different sources. I don't have one particular resource, but I get it from different vendors. And I think it's good to get it from a lot of your different resources because 
you're going to hear different stories depending on what benefits them financially. So then you have to sort of like sort out what is the correct information. I'm getting it from industry articles. So I read a lot. I have a sustainability consultant. And so she and I talk a lot about what's real, what's not. A lot of times I'll hear something and I'll throw it out at her and get her feedback on it. So that's really kind of my approach is to dive in. And there are moments, Jessica, when I am full into the sustainability thing and I'm just like gathering, gathering. And then there are moments when I have to pop out of it and I just have to go like be the CEO of a regular company. The other day I was saying to someone, I had a vendor email me. He's like, I've got all these new materials for you. I'm like, thank God, because I've been out of the sustainability bubble and I need to jump back in it. So when you're a small company and you're leading the charge on this initiative, it's hard to always be 100% in it, but you can pop in and out of it. And like I said, it's one of those things where you're not always going to be perfect. So we're doing the best we can. And I think consumers are actually really starting to get on that bandwagon too. I see a lot of the times consumers defend brands in that very way, like, they are already doing a lot. They're doing the best they can. It's a community that, you know, really supports everybody about we're all doing the best we can with the information that we have and we know it changes. I'd like to pivot a little bit as you talked about seasons and now and how much innovation that comes in the marketplace with your really strong partnership with Sephora. And as we come into the holiday season, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about how do you, Wendy, and how does Callie Ray think about holiday at Sephora. When do you start planning for that? When are you talking to Sephora? Do you already come in with a set calendar that says we're going to do this? Or are you getting feedback from them and then developing your holiday program? Well, one of the best things about Sephora, and I've always felt this about them, and I've worked with them for years and years, is that you have a real partnership with them. And if you've ever heard my talk about the 10 lessons I've learned on this journey, like one of them is that you will excel in your life through partnership. I give this to college students a lot. And I always say like, you know, you focused your life as an individual for so long, but now you're at a phase in your life where you're gonna find like partners in life, partners in business. And Sephora has been my partner in business for a really long time. So I love that back and forth and push and pull. I start thinking about my holiday sets. I'll think about the 24 holiday sets now. I'll start thinking about them, probably put them firmly into place in first quarter, but I'll be watching like, what are my core pillars and what's emerging as a core pillar? And then I try to lean into those and do something exciting. So a different size, an interesting combination. And it, it's always really important that it's great value. You really want to encourage trial and excitement with your customer by giving them great value at holiday. So knowing that you're thinking you're almost 18 months out, at least 12 months out about the holiday program, the offering, are you doing a round one in front of your partner at Sephora? Are you saying, hey, this is what we're thinking and getting their feedback? Or are you waiting until you have it pretty buttoned up before you show them? I would say we start earlier and do a very preliminary round with them and say, we could do something like this. We could do something like this. Like We'll have some concepts in our mind. But really nailing down the final like successful combinations is really a team effort. 
And are you doing that because they also have so much information on the consumer that's walking in that door? So they're able to provide feedback about what is moving well off shelf, what consumer trends are, or really is it from a standpoint of the Cali Ray strategy and where you guys want to take it? How does that meeting evolve? I would say, why wouldn't you, if you've got a partner who sees the whole market, why wouldn't you tap into their knowledge and listen to them and take their feedback? That doesn't mean they make the final decision. There may be a reason why, hey, we can't do it that way from a cost of goods standpoint, but what if we try this, right? And that's why it is a very evolutionary back and forth and collaborative process to get these holiday moments exactly in the right place. Because of course, anyone would want you to do an eight piece minis set for like $20, right? But cost of goods wise, it's not doable. So, okay, we can't do that, but what can we do? And what makes sense? What are the big opportunities? And so you're going to learn from them where the big opportunities are. And then it's kind of up to you to sort of interpret those and then go back to them. And maybe they're like, yeah, technically that is the big opportunity, but maybe think about it in a different way. I would say you're going to have a few rounds back and forth of conversation. It doesn't have to be to me so formal, but I would always with the set situation where you're investing in that, like work with your retailer really closely, not to tell you what to do, but to learn. Yeah. To gain all the insights that you can in order to put the best program forward. What are two to three best practices that you have at launching Holiday into a retailer? My best practice in terms of the development would be like really focus on your core pillar products because you're going to be able to touch a new audience and you really want to put your best foot forward and really have them like discover your brand. So of course, we're really known for our tubing mascara come hell or high water. And of course, we have a set that focuses on that. So I would say that's definitely a best practice. It's going to not only make the set move, but it's going to be your gateway drug to your customer because you know that that's what's successful. So anyone new who's touching it. One of the things we did is I always think it's really important to talk about value for the customer because you are pricing these sets at a value. And you'll see on our holiday sets this year, I think one of the things we did that was kind of cool was we actually did a little perf offs, cute little we do the sunbow is what we call it. It's a little half circle thing. So we did a little half circle in our boxes that you can perf off so we can broadcast that value pricing, but it's also not a sticker because that's not sustainable and it's not printed on there because that's not beautiful. So I would say like get really innovative with how to communicate value because value is very important to the customer. And I think the third best practice is some brands like to launch their holiday in September. That seems a little early to me, but I would say another best practice is to make sure you're out there early enough with your holiday to give it time to sell through. Would you consider, is it always a set situation for you or would you consider a new product launch at this time of year to come into holiday? I wouldn't say no to that. I don't know with Callie Ray right now if that would be the right approach just because we are new. And so to me, it's about communicating those key hero products, but as a bigger brand with a larger awareness, like a really innovative holiday skew can be exciting. Yeah. And I like the way that you laid this out because there's always trade-offs, right? So it's with these 
certain capabilities, this is what makes sense. So in Callie Ray's world right now, it's getting going, we're learning, it's got brand awareness that it's growing. And so really doubling down on the core products, the hero products makes absolute sense. And this is the strategy behind it. So I think that's really helpful for our audience that listens to think, what is that strategy? What is the brand strategy? What are you trying to accomplish at holiday? And then how best to go about it? And it's not going to be a one size fits all. It's not. And for small brand founders, like I am the same. Look, I've been through this a lot and I built a big brand, but I'm a small brand founder again. And we tend as a species to be distracted by bright, shiny objects. That is the reason we got into this business. We like pretty things. We like to create. And it's really hard to be your own best curator and editor. And I would just encourage all brand founders, if you've got a small brand, either have someone on your team who's really good at getting you super laser focused or get good at at forcing yourself to do it. Because I would be all over the place if I allowed myself free reign and it is not good for your business. So it's really hard because the nature of an entrepreneur is one thing and the nature of a disciplined business person is another. And with things like this, you really have to, you have to find that perfect balance between those two things. I absolutely agree with you. And I find it interesting at the top of most companies, it's one person, but it almost feels like it should be two. It should be a visionary creative and it should be a disciplined business acumen. (laughs) Always. I used to get asked at Urban all the time, like, if you could give your younger self advice, what would you do? And I'd be like, hire a CFO, COO right off the bat to be your partner and make yourself accountable to them because they're going to help you. You know, the thing about beauty, and I always say this, is it's a really interesting and amazing business because it is not unlike being in the packaged goods business. And when I say packaged goods business, I mean like Tide Pods, right? If it works well, you're going to buy it again, right? There's that. But it's not Tide Pods. You put it on your face. You pull it out of your bag and your friends will go, ooh, what's that? It is an object of magic and transformation in addition to being a functional object. There is no other category out there that does those two things at the same time. And so it really requires a magician and a creator, and it requires a disciplined brand manager. So there it is. That's why you need to. You do. You need to. And I think the other piece I would add to your list of the what beauty does, the other thing is we innovate constantly. I mean, I can't find another industry that innovates as consistently as we do. I find it fascinating. So you start Cali Ray, you've got this vision, the mascara is amazing, but now you're kind of moving into wellness. So, you know, again, like this ability to transform and innovate and change, I think is really powerful in our space. And I would love to hear a little bit more about kind of Cali Ray's strategy. What is making you move more into wellness? You have a supplement. I heard you've talked about some sexual wellness products. So I'm curious about that strategy. So wellness has always been a core thread since the beginning of concepting this brand. The start of wellness is the West Coast, right? That's where most wellness trends begin. So we really felt like there was an opportunity to combine beauty and wellness together. Wellness as a category is its own thing. So we're infusing little pieces of it. And the supplement was one little foray into it. But all of our products have a wellness element. So they're all like very, you know, they've got like 
good for you skin ingredients. You know, my setting spray is sprayable skincare because it's not only got niacinamide and seawater minerals in it, but it's also got transdermal magnesium for skin recovery. So there's all kinds of wellness things built into every single product. But, you know, as a small brand with limited awareness, right, we can only communicate so much. So but my goal is to always have a wellness thread to Cali Ray. So yes, you did hear right. There are some sexual wellness things that we have been cooking up. So we'll see where it all goes. But wellness is a really important part of this brand. What would you say then from a product development and obviously wellness being a focus, how do you think about the next evolution of product development? Do you get pressure from your investment team? I know you're with True Venture, which Rich and Christina are fantastic, but is there a forced kind of pressure for that? Or even the retailers, Sephora, we hear a lot once you're in Sephora, getting in is the easy part, you know, sustaining and doing well is hard because of the amount of innovation that they look for. Do you get pressure that way? Or do you feel like it's a really great collaboration and you're Wendy and you can just do what you want? Well, there's not, no, I can't do what I want. It's a business. We have to make it work or it won't be a business anymore. But I think we have the opportunity to innovate on a regular basis, but it does require a lot of discipline from, you know, what we were saying before, buying tight to your POs so that you can really look at things and say, hey, I have to, in order to keep this business like vibrant and top of mind for people, we do have to innovate. But that means with limited space in your retailer to start with as a young brand, you don't have unlimited space to grow. I always tell people this story. When I first launched at Sephora, I had 32 SKUs and they were like, here's your three bay gondola. And I'm like, well, what do I do with that? And they're like, I don't know, space everything out. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine? So I partner with Sephora now and they're like, you're going to get a shelf on the cleaning cap in all doors. And and people are like, oh my God, you're the luckiest person in the world. Right. Like That's huge. So, that's huge, right? 30 inches for my 30 SKUs that I launched with again. So but back in the, what was it? Probably late nineties at that point yes. with Urban when you got the full gondola. <laughs> full gondola, full gondola for a bunch of nail polish and lipstick and a tattoo kit. That's what I had. So you really have to like be disciplined about your planning. And so that means like I'm planning further out than maybe I would have back in those early urban days because there just wasn't this luxury of space to just, oh, we'll just move some things over and throw that up there. So we've got to like build something and make a moment out of it and then plan for it to like phase off and it's available in Cali Ray Beauty and then bring something else in that gets people excited. So this is kind of the nature of the business. It does make it a little hard to really build a brand that way, but it's the new reality. So you better just get used to it. Yeah. And find some really great ways, some good best practices to do it because it is the way that it's headed. What does the next two to three years look like for Cali Ray beyond just the product innovation, of course, but where do you see Cali Ray over the next two to three years? Well, I'd really like to see us grow. We, you know, we've doubled in size in our first year and I'd love to see that continuing to happen. You know, people say like, oh, 30% growth, but I feel like we're a brand where we've got this like hero mascara and we really don't have a lot of brand awareness. So I'd like to think that we can continue to like build on that growth in a pretty aggressive double digit way. So that's really my goal. And then Obviously, to be able to make a bigger brand statement at Sephora would be ultimately where I'd like to take the brand. 
Well, Wendy, I appreciate so much your time today and letting us pick your brain. You've seen this beauty industry for the last 30 years. I think you say urban broke it, which was true. And kind of where we are today in 2023 with fact being a younger beauty founder, I would say with a new brand. So it's been a wealth of information to kind of jump in and see the way you think about it. And I would love if any of our audience would like to get a hold of you. Is there a way that they can reach you? Instagram is a great way to reach me. You can just reach out on my DMs and I don't check them every day because I'm trying to be like healthy social media habits, but I do check them. So if you don't hear from me right away, you will hear. Give her a couple days. I love it. Yeah. Give me a couple days. (laughs) Well, thank you, Wendy. We wish you the best of luck, especially as you come into the holiday season. I can't wait to see Callie Ray on your shelf in Sephora and what you do for this season. And I really appreciate the time. So thank you. Okay, well, thanks for having me on. It was so fun talking to you. And if you would like to continue to buzz with me, head on over to buzzbeauty.com. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.